0: the music industry is shut down although I know musicians are continuing to make music and performing particularly online and especially on Sundays at 6pm on the OMN live series and since Artichoke Music's doors are still closed how about we get back to talking to people who were and are big parts of OMN one of them is on Skype with me her name is Stephanie Salvi. she was a club owner a band manager and publicist one of our first OMN writers and now produces movies while remaining a rocker Through and through. She used to be an upstairs neighbor of mine, and I'm glad to say a friend. Meet Stephanie Salvi. Hello, Stephanie. Hi, Tom. It's weird, you know, because we're friends, but also uh, you 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 played a a role here, and I we I I do this from time to time, where I I bring somebody in to the coffee shop conversations, uh, who uh, has has had an impact on Oregon music news. I mean, we did did one with Scott Cunningham, did one with Krista uh, McIntyre, and uh, yeah, people like the, the sir, We did one for, with with Cervante Pope, and anyway, so uh, you we were here at the very beginning
1: yes i was
0: at the birth mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> i came in because i wanted to work with you of course i wanted a vehicle for my my words and my thoughts uh-huh. um but i really just wanted to work with you tom i <laughs> admired you um and we should just disclose we were neighbors. Up to, in, yeah. Up to your in the, Northwest uh, Portland on Lovejoy, yeah, yeah. and just I was so honored to be invited to write for your magazine and have an opportunity to work closely with you.
0: It's well, pretty much the cult of the personality, Tom D'Antoni. Well, really, what I really like to know is what was I like then? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't want to know, as a matter of fact. <laughs>
1: no 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 i't you're the same to work professionally as you are um personally and i and I'm like that type too. i I'm a triple virgo the the way I talk to people in the, it's in the law office and the way I talk to people at a concert and the way I talk to the neighbors i everybody's the same, and I treat them the same, so you um well, you're the big shot. You're the one that has big decades shot. of <laughs> energy, radio experience and print experience. But but,
0: but you 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 know you're, you're a Portland native, right?
1: Yes, yeah. I uh, I'm a fourth generation Portlander on both sides. I grew Man. up in South Portland.
0: Oh my yeah. God, that's a, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, I Man. um I went well. I was enrolled at Cleveland High School, but I that's where I started in the arts in Portland was in the late 70s in mm-hmm. high school and i just cut all my classes and go <laughs> hang out in the ceramic shop or the jewelry metal shop <laughs> and um yeah i think i I've, I've helped keep portland weird uh growing up in southeast portland and i grew up in east morland next to reed college and i swear to god that's what started portland being weird is reed college
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> who was your favorite local band back then
1: when I started writing...
0: No, um, no, no, no. When you were way, way back.
1: Oh. Like
0: in high school.
1: Oh. Who did you,
0: who did you used so, to go see?
1: Um. Well, I had fake ID by yeah. the time I was <laughs> okay. 16. Um, and so I I can't remember what the local bands would have been, but um, I think Black and Blue, one of the guys... Mm-hmm. I uh, went to Cleveland High School, Black and Blue, and mm-hmm. um, and I don't think um, Cooler was a band quite thin, but there was a precursor to um, Cooler. Do you remember what that was? was an no, RD-
0: I was living in Baltimore.
1: Oh, shit. I, <laughs> I wish I knew. I can't pull it up. Um, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I always... so. I'm a rocker. I've always been a rocker. I'm inner city yeah. gal, and so that's what I brought with me. And the but the non-local stuff that I listened to um, was southern rock, and you know ah. the Leonard Skinner and Allman Brothers kind uh-huh. of uh-huh. thing, and a, and a little bit of it dipped into um, c- country and folk, but it still had the kind of the rock background to it. And to, as you know, when I came on with you. <laughs> I was the um, Rock and Roots editor, yeah. and that, that's still, that's my tribe of people in mm-hmm. town. That's mm-hmm. the music that makes me tick, and it's been making me tick for decades. Yeah.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, but you, you also were, were a club owner.
1: Yes. So that yep. was 90, uh-huh. 90 to just about 1995. Uh-huh. And um, we were down uh, in old Portland in one of those ancient iron facade
0: buildings. What was the name of it?
1: It was called Vinny's, and Mm -hmm. it was upscale Italian restaurant downstairs, Mm -hmm. white tablecloth, regional Italian food. And then upstairs um, was another bar, and that's where we mostly had the music. It used to be called Aldo's, and it used to be (laughs) called... um, fernando's hideaway
2: oh yeah
1: and i found out through willamette week that it eventually turned into ron jeremy's sex club club (laughs) (laughs) and i just got bombed with everybody oh my god did you know and did you go down i'm like look i there i have such a gigantic family i've been in this town so long i'm not going to go down there um and see it but it was funny i walked by um I was about a year ago. I just go by and it's mm-hmm. those beautiful, there's just a row of beautiful buildings down there by yeah. Patty
2: mm-hmm.
1: versus Hill. And um, I was gazing at it and I and there's a black, like an escalade behind me and I hear the window go down and they're like, are you trying to get into the club? And I said, no, <laughs> you know, I used to own it when it was a nightclub and we had live music here six nights a week. and um, <laughs> I just come by and see what it feels like. And he goes, well, do you want a tour? So this is lunchtime, so <laughs> nobody's going. And it's like a new age, younger people's sex club now. And we went in and um, and like my beautiful high back room that we would do um, mm-hmm. rehearsal dinners and big banquets. And Renegade Saints came in with a banquet and signed their record label there, <laughs> with the record label there. And um, and that <laughs> that had turned into... Five um, little rooms with doors and a mattress takes <laughs> so up the whole room. <laughs> but they had taken good care of it, and that was three stories, five thousand square feet. Um, and that's really um, <laughs> that's how I got into the music business with
2: yeah,
1: yeah. booking shows there. And um, and I used I was a regular there when it was Aldo's, and so there'd be people like Gary Ogan and Craig Brothers that played there regularly. Mm-hmm. Craig colors uh, played, I think it was every Thursday night from the week we opened until the week we closed, and we just had a really great following, and he, he's such a, a magical, really highly esteemed player out of Portland. I think sometimes he goes to Nashville, and then we started bringing in the Eastside Sound stuff, so the kind of the Thurst group, because the yeah. I've tried Jazz and Blues, and that wouldn't work. They couldn't draw it. We didn't have a real stage, and so then, um, every Wednesday, the um, the Love on Ice guys had broken up, and so we did Wednesdays with Brent Williamson, Dirk Sullivan, and then Steve Lockwood would come in. His band was Haymaker at the time. Mm-hmm. So then, um, when when we stopped having Vinnie's, I went straight into managing Haymaker. So that was my now I'm doing mm. different business instead mm. of putting on concerts every night. We did some. Off-site concerts at Benny's. Mm-hmm. Now I was booking and managing and doing the PR and um, helping produce concerts with Haymaker. Was-
0: you know, you know all of those. When you just went through all those bands, there are people out there that that going, I remember them. Oh, I remember them. Oh, I remember them. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and and those guys still play around
1: town. Hemert is still the same original band. Really, Lock, Lockwood just and his wife just moved up to Idaho, but they had a show within a couple of years ago, and it's those shows are so fun. Um, you know, everybody's the same that comes out, and people still rocking in our middle ages. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so you go to Alberta Street or some of those rooms that'll uh-huh. you know can put on a show with, for just a
0: couple hundred people. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, geez, were you sorry when it ended, when Vinny's ended?
1: Yes, I was sorry, but it was such a handful, and we just never did have the working capital. And I had three preschoolers at the time, which is just bad (laughs) shit. And so, um, yeah, that was definitely my greatest creative project. Um, And so I was the business brain there. My husband at the time, Don Salvi, was the chef and Mm -hmm. – but I did all the administrative and the operations and the um, human resources and the public relations. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was able to relay that um, into managing a band um, for several years and being um, involved in rock and roll. And, and I wrote for Two Louis at the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Buckmucker um, was another mentor for me, like you are. And um, and now I I well, I'm thankful for Vinnie's because it brought my uh, my business skills for the entertainment industry that I can cross over in ah. and work in, in the industry that I want. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, let's see. There, there. One can only um, uh, one can only uh, imagine some of the nights you had in that club.
1: <laughs> well, so some of the funnest, um were, so the upstairs is where normally the music uh was. And yeah. so those nights with the Love on Ice Guys and Steve Lockwood, <clears throat> I we it was two thirty and we would just lock the doors and stay upstairs <laughs> and there was amazing songwriting that would happen until mm-hmm. about four in the morning and Oh boy. I think some people had to go straight to work. One of them was an architect and <laughs> had to go straight in. But those were those were magical um, magical people where it's really just the band um, and a couple of employees and, and maybe a couple of close friends. And yeah, yeah. we kept those micro-brews going. We had more <laughs> micro-brews. McMinimans was the, our only competition. But even McCormick and Schmicks did not have micro-brews. We had 12 micro that you, that you that you you made? No, we bring them oh, in. Uh-huh. Yeah, and so that really helped. You know, the the beer nuts folks would, the the beer uh, nerds would come to. I like
0: I like beer nuts. I haven't had beer nuts for a long time.
1: <laughs> no, I can see the package now. They still have yeah. beer nuts. Do they still have beer nuts? No, yeah, they do or not. Yeah. So
0: <laughs>
1: the, those those um those songwriter nights where they would really just bring in their friends to play with them. And there'd be people hollering in the background or, um, at great jam sessions, but they weren't, they weren't the Kumbaya, you know, hippie jam sessions. These were rockers. And some of these players, um, could play for anyone. I uh-huh. think Brett could, you know, a big act would come to town, yeah. and if their bass player's sick, he could just sit in and uh-huh. just get hand codes from the, the with the band leader and <laughs> play it. And so they were so good at the jam, and I still I still love that when when my friends have parties and everyone brings their guitars and they just there is a certain type of musician that can bring in folks from the inside. Outside and sit uh-huh. them on the stage and uh-huh. really have a compelling performance. Yeah.
0: Oh, jeez. Oh, now, when did that end?
1: Um, ninety-five.
0: Ninety-five. Pretty. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, just before I moved to town, I moved to, to Portland in ninety-seven, so I, I missed all that. Yeah.
1: You missed all that, and a lot of people did, you know. And there's tons of people that are big players in the music scene, and they don't they don't know who I am in my past and who I was. Yeah. Um, and which is just fine with me. Um, you know, like when Lisa Lapine, you're and my very good friend that we lost a few years ago, we'd go out and she was a music promoter, so she had um I forget it was called the East Side Tavern or something. Oh right. Right.
2: right, right um you know, right. uh,
1: Michael Baglin, the great hilarious Irishman. And so we would trade music contacts and so we just as Vinnie's was ending we started to get to know each other
2: uh-huh
1: and uh, so it became a really big um we became very close we were best music industry friends yeah. uh yeah and she so- had
0: she had she had she had lots of those i mean not, not, not not. they weren't all as close as you were or i wasn't quite as close as as you were to, to her but i was pretty close
1: you were pretty close, and you guys had an amazing symbiotic relationship where he <laughs> needed press, and you needed fodder for Oregon Art Beat or
0: there was the a Art time.
1: Oregonian, yeah. There
0: was a time where, uh, in in my work at at, at, at Art Beat and the Oregonian, um there, there was like everything was connected to, to Lisa Lapine in some kind of way. Wow. And yeah. She
1: the pot.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, she was amazing. Um, y- you know, uh, um, and um, yeah, I, I guess I met her, and we still never figured out, we still never figured out how exactly that we met, but I was doing a Saturday talk show on whatever um, KPOJ was then. It was some other station, but anyway, uh, and um, for somehow some reason. Uh, we got in touch with each other, and she started feeding me stories and guests at that time. What was that band with the crazy cab driver? <laughs> and what was that? Oh, you know so what I mean? Was, yeah, it was Thrill Billy. Thrill Billy. I had Thrill Billy in the studio. That was like, you know, that, that's, that shit didn't happen on, on news talk stations, you know?
1: That is so cool. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. yeah that was Lisa's baby. But oh, she, I know. How, yeah. it, it, countless. Uh, acts that she <laughs> took your way and that you took care of. Um, you know, you really helped get oh, television she, exposure.
0: And she introduced me to everybody. She just introduced, me. but she had this way of of like <laughs> giving your whole resume when she introduced <laughs> <you> to somebody. <laughs> she <laughs> she did. Go like, oh come on, come on, it's okay. I don't want to go through the whole thing. <laughs> she,
1: did, and she connected so many dots, and she, you know, you're at a party and she'll drag you across the room like yeah, you need yeah. to meet it. And mm. she would always throw some conversational bomb into yes. the group and then yeah. walk away. Yeah. And there yeah. you sit, and there was enough for both parties to chew on to get to know each other. I She never hit the right mark with me when she'd introduce me and give my oh. background <laughs> because it's so varied. Like, if, yeah. I always wanted, yeah. I always thought, well, if you're introducing me to a club owner – then you should say Stephanie was a club owner. Or if you're <laughs> introducing me to you know, a rock and roll band manager, say, well, she used to manage Haymaker, work with Gravel Pit or Throwbelly or whatever. And uh, so she, you know, she's introducing me to someone that runs a
0: folk festival in the South. <laughs> you know, Stephanie, she
1: used to manage this rock, rock and roll band.
0: And, you know, she and I had completely, except for soul music, she and I had completely opposite taste in music. I went with her. I took her to, to Jimmy Max one time, and she she hated jazz, and she got up and left. <laughs> oh, that Lisa and I have
1: in, in common. Well, because jazz shows you sit still and look intellectual, and Lisa and I are always on the dance floor and up at the stage and moving around the room, and at a jazz room, is kind of, you need to have more manners and we didn't ever know how to do that. And I know forever that you guys had different musical days. It was
0: hilarious. It was just, and we, we, we made fun of it with each other too. You know, she had, she loved all those woo woo singer songwriters. And I'm going like, Oh fuck. You know?
1: yes, God bless her. And Lisa, you know, her, her niche was really these up and coming folks. And she, with her consulting business and she'd sit them down. And of course, they just want her to book them and get her, get them publicity. And she'd tell them, you know, that horn section, none of them dress very well on stage. you got to completely <laughs> do that. And you need a hairdo. And you guys, your band name, that has to go. <laughs> you know, the the, the,
0: the guy in throwbelly that was the cab driver.
1: Jay Bowman. Jay right. Bowman. Yeah. Well,
0: you know, before I moved here, I went through a really tough period of my life and I was a cab driver in Baltimore, Maryland. Generally, guys don't come back from that. But I did right I did and 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 then and then she introduced me to him, and all of a sudden we started telling cab stories. It was hilarious, and we both had it something that we both used to had both said many times over the years and driving a cab, and we used to say it to each other every time we'd see each other, which was, "Get the fuck out of my cab." <laughs> Because <laughs> you had to say that sometimes, you know. With
1: force. You know, Bowman would be a great person for you to interview. That's um, funny. He's got a radio voice like you, and he just has very um, deep stories. And he was a magnificent – he still is a magnificent poet. You know, all the words were his and then in Thrillbilly. And most of the music or a lot of the music started with Dougie, the guitar player. hmm and and Dougie was um, he was a rhythm guitar player Mark Devig was the thrillbilly um, um Lee guitar player and, and Mark would just really clean it up you know mm-hmm. so that those that stuff would be ready for the studio but Bowman's poetry oh my goodness so i have a good story um you and i were very involved in Lisa Lapines um, our kind of concert um, uh, yes. and and you know to memorialize her mm-hmm. and so you were MC, Terry Courier was M C, John Neff was M C and we just we I think we put about fifty musicians through there and so Terry Courier and I curated the talent and there were probably two hundred acts that would have liked yeah. to play on that because yeah. Lisa had so much touch and um so it's the end of the night, and Lisa's, you know, the, the, her favorite rock and roll band that she had contact with was Thrillbilly, and she stayed with them for a long time. So their drummer didn't show up,
2: Uh-oh. and
1: so Rick from Haymaker's going to be the drummer, and the Thrillbilly guys were so damn upset, I didn't know, if, <laughs> and they were the final act, and I didn't know if we'd get them on stage, so Christy Rethlis and another great gal in the music industry and I are backstage. And one by one, we're turning the guys to get out of their anger and get them up onto the stage. And um, so we're giving hugs and uh, everybody. OK, so we finally switch them out. So they're ready to go on stage and everybody's giving me a hug as they go on stage. <laughs> and, yeah. and Doug is going on stage. His guitar is around his neck and it's uh, and right at the stairs. I give him a hug and my necklace catches into the neck of his guitar. Jeez, <laughs> he couldn't get it off. <laughs> and I'm like, I can see Doug's going to lose it again. They're just so fucking pissed. <laughs> Chris, he comes and undoes it. And so, but that was a lovely night, lovely party we had, benefit the Jeremy Wilson Foundation. Yeah, yeah. And um, brought a lot of Lisa's artwork and filled the crystal ballroom. And that was
0: yeah. It was, that was a, a great night. It was a great, was a great
1: night. night. Yeah. Terry yeah. Currier really made that happen. When yeah. Terry Terry came in, I go, Terry, we're going to have to pull up the Terry card to make some <laughs> stuff happen. And the crystal ballroom leaned in, and they were, you know, yeah. they're always yeah. great about that kind
0: of stuff. Lisa was such a, a wonderful, loving person, mm-hmm. but she did have another side to her. Mm-hmm. I, remember, I remember she had a client who uh, she once described to me, I won't name the client, as... Uh, someone who put the cunt back in country.
1: <laughs> oh. Oh. So yeah, you know, I think Lisa was, sometimes people didn't know who she was and would treat her, you know, as less than a peer, um, or they wouldn't pay her. Yeah. Um, but most people adored her and admired her and wanted to be involved. God, she put on some amazing parties, concerts like the bloody muddy valentine
0: party yeah,
1: or are yeah. all her portland brewing concerts with um
0: yeah.
1: from Eric the marketing guy there. Uh, yeah.
0: Oktoberfest. Oh. Remember when she she, she would do the Oktoberfest? Good god, those were so <laughs> fun.
1: Yeah, but I know what you're talking about. So yeah. I was the executor of her estate, and there is a musician in there that still owes her money. And goddamn, if she didn't put that in there, she still <laughs> love it. And I never told him, and he's pretty successful, but I'd probably tell him jokingly if I ever meet him, like, well, you know, Lisa gave away all this stuff, but you were the one that owed the estate <laughs> something from the grave she's reaching
0: out. <laughs> So, um, uh, I, I know you're involved in in movies now. Oh, before that, did you you didn't tell the Wilkinson Blade story, did you?
1: Okay, yes. Yeah. So how I this was started- one of the,
0: this is one of the first, if not the first, story that you wrote for Oregon Music News.
1: It's the first story that I wrote for Oregon Music News. Yeah, and so Steve Wilkinson is one of my very close friends, and he's a neighbor, and um, and I had worked as a um, Sometimes as a manager, if he had a show and he needed some muscle to come in, you know, a business muscle, then I'd come in, and I had written stories about him and about uh, Gravel Pit uh, mm-hmm. in Two Louis. and so you had hired... It was some radio jock. It was a woman radio jock that was gonna be the rock editor.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah
1: and she bailed at the last minute.
0: Yeah, she did. And
1: so when we, when you rolled it out, you would have your your deal with the editors was that we would give, you know, maybe five stories and get the photographs and you and wanted us to have, you know, a lengthy story in there. Uh, and I
0: was the- completely un- un- unrealistic, but yes.
1: <laughs> well, it was, cool. it was a great challenge, and that's why I probably wrote 100 pieces for you, or I don't know how many. <laughs> but, um, but and you were rolling it, so your cover page would be, okay, today's Jazz Day, you know, mm-hmm, today mm-hmm. is Children's Music Day, today's Theater Music Day, and then it was Rock Day, and the girl didn't have shit, so I just lived <laughs> upstairs, and you're like, Steph, can you come do it? And I called Pete Wilkinson that day, yanked an interview out of what I could, but I knew so much about him already because I had worked with his band, and that was my very first story. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, and you know, and I don't know if you knew this, but most of my stories into Louis and in Oregon Music News. Or about people that I know, and you know, I, so I get a little bit of flack that that's a conflict of interest, but it really um, that you know people's backstory makes an interview easier. Sure. But also, I my stories tend to be the character sketch. I'd never mm-hmm. done record reviews, little bit concert reviews, but mm-hmm. even in those, like who was there, you know, and what did it feel like, um, you know. But yeah, uh, we
0: gave up on those.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just give up on that. They're,
0: bull- they're bullshit, you know.
1: Um, yeah, and I've just never printed a bad thing about anyone. I think one club, I Karen and I were at one club, and I just blasted him for shitty service. The so.
0: only bad review I have ever ever written in Oregon Music News was something I had been that had been boiling inside of me for years and years. When I got to write really shitty things about Ace of Base. I <laughs>
1: know that is. <laughs> But you were you were happy to do it.
0: It was wonderful. It was a great cathartic thing for me to actually do that. Yeah. Okay. So how? Did, but your music connections led you to to your your movie connections, right? Mm-hmm. How did, how when and how did that happen? Um.
1: So that crossed over because. So what Lisa Lapine and I had in common is that we live and I still live in Bohemia, and we always had roommates and so there was a filmmaker that lived with Lisa for three years and then lived at my house for three years. And, um, and he's also a musician had a few records out and Mm -hmm. toured, you know, all over the world. And he's like, shit, Steph, I think you got, you know, you got some stuff that could cross over into film. And because he was in my house, you know, have meals together and stuff. Um, I got to come and start doing some things. So I started out doing a music video, which ended up winning the Pace Magazine national podcast. Would, you, would you like to t-
0: Would you like to tell people his name?
1: It's John Garcia.
0: Sure. Very good.
1: Okay. <laughs> so John Garcia. And I would say he's one of maybe the most prolific filmmakers, low-budget independent filmmakers in the state of Oregon. And mm-hmm. he has 10 um, now, I believe, Uh, motion pictures full-length art house motion pictures under his belt so i did little projects with him and then i came on for um the falls covenant of grace so the Mm -hmm. falls is uh written and directed by john garcia and it's about two boys that go on mormon mission and fall in love and very respectful to the mormon community very respectful to the queer community and John's a straight Catholic guy,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and so he did one. It got in festivals and got press all over the world. His um, dis- and
0: got distribution, which is and kind what, of- what was your role in that?
1: So I was a producer. I came mm-hmm. straight in as a producer because I can do accounting and legal mm-hmm. business communications. Um, I get the tax game. I get the PR game because I was a publicist mm-hmm. and a journalist. And so I came in, but also um, I, I had, uh, if you watch that movie, I've got a lot of things from our house that are in there, you know, like so mm-hmm. tend to help in the art department yeah. and took that one really from script to screen and all the way through distribution o- on the business end. So I don't know, I'm not a tradesperson. I couldn't turn a camera on and. So I really, I got to learn the game through working uh, with John. And then we did about, within a year, we did Sex Weather. And that was a tiny little film shot in one room about two couples that worked in the arts together and hooked up and it's the morning after. (laughs) Um, And John, his uh, type of filmmaking um, was the kind of stuff I watched, like the Coen brothers, and what I realized Mm -hmm was the music you know that mm. that's something I really love in addition to just some really striking um pictures on the screen and so John always I, I think he still is his own music supervisor he has his own songs in there Brings stuff into the studio John Neff um always does his sound design and John has a great studio he's a famous famous movie guy and uh, music guy and so John's had a lot of touch and. Yeah, so I loved the crossover of the music and the film. So Mm -hmm. then, um, and then John and I, after uh, many, many projects together, we just went our own different way and took our wings and flew in different directions. And Mm -hmm. since then, John is just in, um, he has two motion pictures right now in Mm post-production. And I have have four movies in post-production. So we're both very, very prolific film people, uh, going different ways. And the other thing about Garcia is because he's such a fount of material, he was great. Um, he was fodder for me to go to American film market and -hmm. to contact people because I knew that the movies were going to keep coming. And that's how I got my connections, got my LA connections, Mm -hmm. um, was pitching his movies. And so that's what I do in movies now. Um, is come in the beginning and help them find money, you know, is, is appropriate for grants, you know, can you borrow some money, can we, you know, get product placement, you know, credit card, all this stuff, get it in pre-production. Um, so we, I set up the budget and help hire the teams and then uh, send them on their merry way for production. I tend not to be the unit production manager and then catch it on the way out and do the legal during post-production where you have mm-hmm. to have all your clearances, in case you have a Nike swoosh in there, and yeah. and work for higher um, agreements and release of image from all the cast, all the crew, and and then um, I'm the contact with the outer world to get distribution, yeah. which I've been pretty successful at. Yeah.
0: Well, of the the movies that you your ha- your you have a hand in now, what do you think is going to be what do you think is going to be released first?
1: Um, probably Maysville. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm on four movies. I've I've been some type of producer on four movies. Uh, Mm -hmm. One's a short in Seattle called Cade, based on the Brothers K novel, which is a Pacific Northwest novel. And that's one of Faith and um, Lovely Little Short. Mm -hmm. And I got to work with Seattle people on that last fall. Um, Then the other Washington movie I'm a consulting producer on is called Mainsville. And that's Leslie Goyette. So I met her on a John Garcia set. We shot in a church, the music video, with a bunch of kids. And Leslie um, just really kept the momagers, we call them. Mm -hmm. uh, She brought all the talent in, kept it rolling, and I just liked her as a friend and as a professional. And I uh, met her at uh, Jeff Scott Taylor does these really cool things on last Sundays at the Clinton Street Theater. Will he bring in... Uh, local movies, and he does um, on-stage Q&As with folks, and I met Leslie there, and she just really felt like her script um, wasn't going to get off the ground, and she can't find any money, and I'm like, Les, let's talk, (laughs) so um, they didn't have the money to hire me um, as a line producer or unit production manager, but I'm on the phone with her a lot, but that one, I did kind of an indie film miracle with that in that I got distribution for that film before they were finished with principal photography. And it came because they had such an extraordinary proof of concept teaser trailer. Mm -hmm. And that one, (laughs) she's a great case study of how you can cobble it together. She's a Southerner, and this movie is a Southern story about boys playing on a tractor. The tractor falls over, kills one of the boys, the dead boy's dad comes over up the haulers in Kentucky or Tennessee and steals the other boy. He oh, lost boy. one. So he and Leslie is from there. So she goes up there. She got people to donate tractors from the 1920s, which oh. was said, cars from the 1920s, rail cars. All of the um, little theaters and bigger theaters in the around the Washington, Tacoma, Seattle area. They all contributed the, these 1920s costumes, and she got a high quality looks multi million dollar picture. Wow! So that one's in post production as are all the rest. Mm-hmm. That one because it has distribution, and I know where it is on the edit. She's editing it right now, and I think that one's gonna that one's gonna pop out. They all want to pop out um, this year. Yeah. But but we'll see. And then, mm-hmm. and
0: then you brought a, a story to us about uh, Amanda Shaw. Say it again. And then you brought so, a Amanda- story to us about Amanda. is it Shaw? Isn't it Amanda Shaw? No,
1: Amanda Richards.
0: Richards. Who's Amanda Shaw?
1: I don't know. Meaning? But I know who Amanda Richards is. Oh. A lot of people know who Amanda Richards is. So Amanda um, is a uh, country rockin' singer-songwriter, extraordinary mm-hmm. performer, has extraordinary top-notch uh, country players. And she um, – it's weird. I met her. John Garcia was being interviewed by Jeff Scott Taylor at Clinton Street. And I come out, and there's Amanda Richards, and um, she liked my boots. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and she had – so she –
0: You said boots, right? Boots. Okay. Yeah.
1: So Amanda <laughs> – um, Yes, she could have been in Nashville a long time ago, but she's a very independent and has a punk rock attitude, not a punk mm-hmm. rock. She's not a punk rocker. So she has this script called Whiskey, Dixie and the Big Wet Country, and she put it on the stage. She got an executive producer, and it went for maybe five or six weeks and it, it would sell out, and it was very women positive, sex positive, and they're very naughty, brilliant songs um, on the stage. So then Amanda and I um, just kind of met on some other things, and she asked me to be, come on and be a producer on this movie. Mm-hmm. So we set up a big office, and the whole while um, she was out. With her bands doing concerts, she's the band leader. It's Amanda Richards and the Good Long While.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, less, it was less than a year we had finished principal photography on that movie. And it, it so she, I think she calls it a raunchy cowgirl musical <laughs> and <laughs> so I helped with the art department on that the I brought in the amazing production designer Michael DeLap, and he really ran the whole art department we went to Redmond and went thrift store shopping and got legitimate snap cowboy shirts and we found a bunch of square dance dresses and boots and belts <laughs> and all kinds of things and we yeah. shot it in Vernonia Oregon <laughs> for the month of uh, last September mm-hmm. and Amanda's the star and um, people can go on and see whiskeydixiemusical.com. There's the the teaser trailer and it opens up. So she plays Whiskey Dixie, who's a, a musical wonder. She should have, this, this character should have also been on the national level and she only gets fame because she's driving down the street with a vibrator and the song is coming <laughs> at high speed. So, in the movie, that goes viral. And so now she's famous for that. The whole thing shot in this bar in Vernonia, yeah. except for the two sex scenes in her trailer, which we found a trailer that still had like cobwebs and. <laughs> Just, and so um, and that one that one um that could pop because Amanda has the crossover of music, and yeah, so she yeah. really we, we can ride her the Amanda pony on that with with marketing she's has i don't know ten records out, and um mm-hmm. uh, she's known on the national and international level, and mm-hmm. she really does get business and um p r so we'll see so um yeah but that one that one is funny as hell and she may you know she has dreams of taking that on the road maybe off broadway maybe doing a tv sequel um so yeah we had um there's an was an article in Oregon Mu- music news about her mm-hmm. and um just the, uh, you know the character that she is and yeah. Yeah. You only have to see that girl um on stage once, and
0: she'll <laughs> <still> own you <laughs> yes. so so how how are you how are you being able to do business during all this bullshit that's going on
1: you know i I don't say this, but I guess I'll say it on your show is that I really haven't been affected that much because oh, good I'm for gonna- you. I'm an invisible producer where I come mm-hmm. in. Yeah. Development could go for a whole year where you're getting your talent and getting your director and you know really lining things up. So that doesn't make that much difference. Where I'm you know working on contracts and budgets and PR and pitch to Los Angeles um, for distribution and so that doesn't make a difference. What it does make a difference is. Anything that was planned for production has come to a screeching halt. But all four of the movies that are that I was some type of producer on are in post production, and so now editing, mm-hmm. um, uh, both Amanda Richards and Leslie Goyette are doing their own editing, and they can, you know, render it. I don't even know what that world is um, to their co-editors, and mm-hmm. they can stay home, um, mm-hmm. and do and do it that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah so not much oh, good distance. yeah, yeah. The, and uh, yeah. I'll tell you the the uh, I'm on a Los Angeles picture my first Los Angeles picture as a line producer and that from the very beginning I did remotely and I took over some of the assistant director stuff where I had to write the schedules and mm-hmm. and you know manage the talent and that's all um SAG actors and and that one, so that one's still in post-production, and I do remotely. Mm-hmm. I, I fly down there to work on on the big shoots and kind of mm-hmm. help manage the set for that. But, um, yeah, so it hasn't affected me. I have a little more time, so I kind of have put myself through executive producer school. <laughs> and I every book and buy every book I can and go to webinars and question and answers um, because um, – the business executive stuff you don't you cannot get in film school. Mm-hmm. You have to get it hands on, and I came straight in as producers and didn't work my way up as an assistant to another producer and yeah. so i'm I'm doing a lot of webinars and research and finding bigger and better contracts with more protective language that I want to use and um, <laughs> so no i i I feel bad saying that, but I just haven't been affected.
0: Well, good for you. <laughs> Excellent, great. Yeah. Well, listen, this has been wonderful. Um, I'm so glad to spend some time with you. I never get to see you because you're always working.
1: I told you but, I'm going to uh, come visit, Tomer.
0: All right. I'll
1: bring some dinner.
0: Yay! <laughs> all right. Okay, Steph. Thanks a lot.
1: Thank you, Tom. Bye.